I spent most of my life, Nick, trying to harm or kill myself. And I really didn't understand the why. So when I, I remember meeting an elder and, and the elder said, it's okay to let the burn in your, to let the bird in your mind, but do not let it make a nest. And I had one big nest going on because I didn't let people in. I didn't put a voice to my pain. And the, the it's logical, isn't it, for one to want to leave pain behind in exchange for pleasure. And I think that I was just in so much pain that I grabbed at all these different tools trying to catch a break. I turned to self-harm. I became an alcoholic, a compulsive gambler. I basically just lived outside of myself so that I didn't have to be with self. And that right there is probably the simplest definition of addiction because I had no relationship with myself like many other men do not make me feel. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the Never Fully Heard podcast. Thank you for coming on. Nick, happy to be here. <laughs> Good to see you. Where I want to start is, when did you first understand what mental health even was? Oh my gosh, that's a loaded question. I feel like I'm still kind of trying to come to terms mm. with uh, the word mental health. I'll, I'll tell you this, in hindsight, I can understand where my struggles began. Mm -hmm. And really, it was, you know, grade eight. Uh, but the problem was at that time, I had no understanding of the concept mental health. Nobody talked about it. And I think that that was the biggest barrier for me. I suffered mm -hmm. in silence for so long. I swore that I was the only person having these particular thoughts. And thankfully, over the years, I was able to understand that information is power. I was able to meet with countless professionals, get into support groups. And I really think mm. that while there's a lot of work to do, we're moving the right way. So what were some of those those thoughts you were having in, uh, in grade eight? When I look back, it was very much this ongoing battle in my mind, the self-defeating thoughts. I struggled with my image. There was a, a moment mm. in grade eight where they took a picture of me from my side profile. And when I saw that for the first time, I, I saw an absolute monster. I avoided mirrors from that point on for the next 13 years. Uh, it, it was, it was a right. battle for me to be with myself. And it was a battle for me to understand that vulnerability is actually a strength, not a weakness. But like I alluded to before, I just never mm. saw others around me talking about their pain, especially as a young man. It wasn't modeled that it was okay to maybe shed a tear to reach out for help. It was the opposite. You know, you, you suck it up and tough it out. And I tried that and it did not yeah. work. And and the quote, there's, um, you, you've, uh, I remember hearing a quote, there's nothing manly about suffering in silence. What did you, uh, what did you mean by that? I find it really interesting that to this day, so many men feel like reaching out for help or being vulnerable is a weakness. Yet, for yourself, Nick, or for anyone else listening, if you've ever given yourself permission to reach out for help, to be vulnerable, you know that it requires absolute courage. And for that reason, I'm always arguing that vulnerability equals strength because so many men continuously carry their pain mm. inside. And when that happens, it gets dark real quick, doesn't it? So what relationship then, if you, uh, if it can get dark real quick, what relationship did that, um, 
you have with your like the voice inside your head in grade eight and what negative impacts did that go on to cause if you weren't having a good relationship with yourself i spent most of my life nick trying to mm. harm or kill myself and i really didn't understand the why mm. so when i, I I remember meeting an elder and, and the elder said, it's okay to let the burn in your, to let the bird in your mind, but do not let it make a nest. And I had one big nest going on because I didn't let people in. I didn't put a voice to my pain mm -hmm. and the, the, it's logical, isn't it? For one to want to leave pain behind in exchange for pleasure. And I think that I was just in so much pain that I grabbed at all these different tools trying to catch a break. I turned to self-harm. I became an alcoholic, a compulsive gambler. I basically just lived outside of myself so that I didn't have to be with self. And that mm -hmm. right there is probably the simplest definition of addiction because I had no relationship with mm -hmm. myself like many other men do not make me feel. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing, first of all. And so I guess what relationship do you have with shame? Or what did you relationship did you have with your shame during that time? Shame is something to this day that I really battle. Mm. I feel like it no longer consumes me. And that's the difference. But shame damn near killed me most of my life. It was always I am something wrong, not I did something mm. wrong, which therein lies the difference between shame and guilt but you know when when i was able to learn about trauma mm. uh and i don't know how far we need to dive into this but the body is a fascinating thing like when i was able to leave the lifestyle behind where it was always trying to harm or kill self and when i had yeah. a new family i had a a, a new support system um, no more self-harm, no more addictions. The body kind of released all this trauma that I had been storing for so long. And mm -hmm. I, I, I started to recall that I was sexually abused throughout my entire childhood. And while it was absolutely horrific, I mean, that honestly, it was very hard for me to stay alive that mm -hmm. year because what, like Nick, what do you do? What do you do with that pain? You don't just call up the guys mm -hmm. and say, Hey, you know, this is what I'm yeah. experiencing. This is what I'm remembering. But the piece that helped me it was like that was the why that that was where the shame was so deeply rooted that I am flawed that I'm dirty that there's something wrong with me and just knowing that why has helped me to rebuild yeah th thank you so much I think it's um I think it's really important for for more men that have um well at least more men to hear men that have maybe um, been able to share their story about their own sexual abuse because it's it's unfortunately far more commonplace than um, I think it is known by a lot of people. Um, and I think part of that is the, the shame that a lot of men feel around that. Um, and so did you say you didn't, you would like you would, um, you would kind of locked it away in your brain and it was only until you got more like love and like like compassion in your life that you were able to kind of access that was that what you were saying it's basically like i was frozen for so long mm. and i would say that to heal is to thaw and trauma literally gets stored or buried in our cells until our body feels like we're in a strong mm. enough position to recall it and at that moment the mind often will 
unleash those memories in the form of flashbacks. And that's what happened. I was mm-hmm. maybe a month in, or sorry, a year into my sobriety. And I started, you know, having these, these odd flashbacks and then these strong feelings and overwhelming shame and started putting the puzzle pieces together. And if I had not come across a support group that specialized in men and sexual abuse, I am not sure, Nick, that I would still be here because again, you like, you have to go somewhere positive with that pain. And were you speaking during, during these different kind of um, really like hard events or hard moments in your life? Were you speaking to anyone about it? Uh, the, the kind of worst points was there was there a, I know you found a support group, but before was there a support group or people you could go to with, with this? Few and far between. The sad reality mm. with addictions is you make me choose between my addiction or you, I choose my addiction. And yeah. sadly, I had pushed many people away. I also had that mindset that I didn't want to burden others with my problems. They had enough on their plate, which is mm. also self-sabotaging. There were a few counselors that I felt comfortable with sharing. There were a few friends that would come and go where, you know, I could share things with. And um, that was really my saving grace. I think at the end of the day, we just need one. We need one person who we feel comfortable enough being ourselves, where we can share things without being judged. Mm. And... I guess having gone through all this and doing all the work you do, what advice would you give to someone whose friend or loved one is experiencing addiction? How how would you advise them to show up or try to support or be there for them during that time? When we have to watch someone that we care about struggle with mental health, struggle with addictions, or as they navigate through trauma, it is one of the most difficult positions to be in in life because mm-hmm. we are absolutely helpless. Basically, it's, it's as though we have front row seats to a horrific show where we watch the person that we love deteriorate in front of our eyes. And the problem is this. Sometimes we become enmeshed in our relationship with them where it's almost like a three-legged race, meaning we tie ourselves to them. And if they yeah. fall, then what happens to us? We fall. We fall with them. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where it's a great proverb, let go or be dragged. Meaning there really is only so much that we can do. There's only so much that we can say. But at the end of the day, if that person does not want change, if they don't want help, change will not happen. And that that's the hard part because we want the best for them. As a parent, as a coworker, as a friend, we hope that they will choose to work on self. But you know, at the end of the day, they have their journey and we have ours. And I, I, I watched my mom in particular really lose herself in my journey and then came a day where she realized i can't Mm. i can't do this anymore love hope Mm. faith those things remain but you also have to surrender to the things that you can't control and having lost my best friend to suicide uh the takeaways Mm. were very similar in those moments we have to saying do everything so that we don't look back thinking damn like i i wish i had done more and so we say what we need to say we try to create the space where they feel comfortable enough to talk about their pain it's not the time to judge but rather to listen and to encourage them to access the supports while again understanding Mm -hmm. that whether or not they access those supports is out of our control 
And I guess yeah. lastly, like mm. suicide, and I know that you're passionate about putting a, a voice to it, which I appreciate, and you don't shy away from the conversation. I feel like a lot of people do. And I feel like we have to ask the tough question with the people yeah. that we care about. Are you feeling suicidal? Which that is a hard, hard question to ask. And I feel like we, we fear asking the question because we fear what? The answer. The answer. Because what happens if the person that you care about says, yep. And in those moments, I think often we panic. We mm. talk. When elders always remind us that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it's at that point where we have to just listen. Because the definition of healing for me is very simple. The more that someone is able to get that darkness out, the more room they will make for light. Mm. Yeah, beautifully said. And let's just in a hypothetical situation, I'm your friend and I come to you and I do give you the answer that I am suicidal. What's, what's, a, what's a way you can hold space for that person? Because I don't think, I think people are scared, as you said, of the answer and not knowing what to, how to hold space for someone with that. Yeah. It's a great question. I think that we overthink this one. First of all, none of us want to be fixed, right? Yeah. Nobody. Don't fix me. There's three things, and this is why I made it my tagline. Uh, I just trademarked it recently because I feel like it's, it's at the essence of everything. We all want three things. We want to be seen. Mm. We want to be heard. We want to be supported. And so as soon as somebody comes into my space and shares something like that, I understand and have embraced the power of simply listening. And more often than not, as soon as I yeah. start to talk, you can just sit back and the next 10, 15, 30 minutes will be them talking. And at the end of that time, more often than not, they say, ah, I feel better. <laughs> Why? Because they got some of that darkness out. And at that yeah. point, when they're starting to feel a little better, we can encourage them to access resources. Maybe there are some available, maybe there aren't, but we can then choose the role that we want to play moving forward. We can drive them to the hospital. We can mm. take them to a support center. We might have to call mobile crisis or get, you know, if they are still at that point where we feel like they're a threat to themselves. Um, but then I think after that, we just repeatedly check in and we're also cognizant of how we're doing, you know, what, because yeah. when you have those conversations, it's hard. And what are you doing with the emotions that you're feeling? Are you bottling it up? How are you releasing it? Yeah, th thank you so much for that. I think that's a, it's a really strong answer. And one thing that popped up was um, you said, get the darkness out. And I guess darkness is the absence of light. So once you are able to voice it, that is the, the first time those, I guess, thoughts have seen the, the light of day. So that's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to think about it. What I wanted to ask you, um, personal question, what did the your friend's suicide teach you about life or what what did you start how did you view life differently after that event that was one of those moments where when that phone rang my life changed forever uh i had mm -hmm. a very hard time staying alive i yeah that was hard it was really hard for my wife uh it was hard for my family because i went to a very dark place again Having said that, it also saved my life because I saw the entire tape being played forward. I saw and I felt the 
implications of his actions. The the lessons, Nick, are so vast. I I learned how to grieve sober. That was different. Never in my life had I given myself permission to feel to that depth, uh, to be vulnerable. But he, here's a story that I actually shared yesterday during an event, which I don't usually share, but um, I was so consumed with this loss mm -hmm. Because I was also a counselor at the time. I was trained in this. And it's like, how the hell did I not see this coming? It was the head on the swivel. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. And I was so consumed that after a year, I realized I have, I have to let go of this. I, I cannot do this anymore. And I felt like for me, Nick, the best way to do that was to just drive out to his grave and reflect. And right before I walked out that door, uh, my wife, Tanya, she... Um, she walks up the stairs and she says, Hey, Al, before you go, I, I have a gift for you. And so she walks up to me and she hands me this large gift bag. Mm -hmm. And from the gift bag, she pulls out a picture frame. And it's, a, it, it's, it's full of pictures of Justin and I in it together. So it's a beautiful keepsake. And I take this with me oh, that's amazing. out to the grave. And I sit on the grass and I carefully put this picture frame up to reflect. And immediately it slams down. So I carefully put it up again, slams down. It's not even windy. And the third time that I put this picture frame up and it slammed down, well, now I'm mad. And I actually stood up and I, I opened my arms and I said, what's going on? And I got an answer. I, you know, I did not expect that, but I heard it so clear, Nick. And the word that I heard was enough. And I knew what that meant. For me, it was... Enough, Al. You, you have spent so much time and so much energy thinking about what you could have done that what actually happened is you missed out on the journey that you're supposed to lead in the first place. And that was the catalyst for me to let go. The pain doesn't go away, but I was no longer consumed. And that all made sense because I remember early on speaking to someone who I trust and, and I said to her, why him? Like, why have I always been saved? Why was he not? And her answer was perfect. Yeah. She said, Al, you have no right to ask that question because he has his journey and you have yours. And that's simple, but it's powerful because we cannot hold ourselves accountable for the choices that others mm -hmm. make. And I know that the word choice is yeah. a sensitive one when it comes to mental health and suicide. But at the end of the day, that falls on the individual. And lastly, Nick, what I find fascinating is Justin is the driving force behind so much of what I do. Um, and, and, and I never saw this coming, but in many ways, I am closer to him now than when he was here physically, because the veil between the physical and the spiritual world is so thin. And um, I guess we've yeah we've mentioned the, the obviously the negative consequences, but um, do you mind elaborating on the I guess you mentioned there the the thin veil and um, the driving force behind some of your kind of ventures now? What what positive have you taken from the experience in terms of what you got on to do in the space? Yeah, it's I have the the greatest twisted sense of gratitude. I I communicate mm -hmm. with him. I sense him. The reason that I have J.A. on my throat, I traced over his initials, and that is my ongoing reminder that I will talk about this. I know the effects mm -hmm. firsthand. 
and I surrounded it with the Phoenix, which is all about rising up from the ashes. And we actually created a clothing line once that whole COVID thing happened called Born Resilient, Amazing. which again was influenced by Justin because, and, and we didn't plan this, but the day that we launched that clothing line, Nick, fell on the anniversary of his death, which, which to me, Special. and I only put that together three days before we launched, it, it was just another like, oh yeah, he's here. He's, you know, he's helping us. And um, yeah, Twisted Gratitude is really the, 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 only, the only thing I can say. And even just the, the last book that I wrote on men and mental health, I interviewed Justin's dad. Because of that loss, I have had so many meaningful and powerful conversations and I have seen the ripple effect in a positive way which I guess is the best way to honor mm. such a, a profound loss. And do you mind sharing what um, his dad had to, to say? We've had a lot of conversations over the years. The, the day that I drove to his dad's house um, to interview him mm. for the book, I, I cried pretty much the whole way there because um, it's really hard. It's hard. I'm a father. We have four kids. And when I put myself in that position to talk openly about it, it's hard because I think we also internalize what could it's I have conversation. done. conversation. But really, mm. some of the lessons, you know, and the things that we talked about were just, often it's like, how? How could somebody do this? And I know that Ed, Justin's dad, was able to get some insight into how significant his pain was. Justin would often say that he was fighting a battle in his head that nobody would understand and that he has no more mm -hmm. tears to cry. And, and he was able to really, I guess, understand how someone could get to that place. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know the, I don't want to speak for Ed, but it's, the, the, the unfortunate part was that then Ed's, daughter also really struggled with suicide but the difference was that ed had new tools mm -hmm. and he always said i wished i had taken justin to get help yeah. earlier i wish i had just intervened and they were able to do that with their daughter and i think that that right there is just a case of when we know Amazing. better we do better every single one of us does the best that we can with mm -hmm. with the tools that we have yeah i mean such a powerful reason why these conversations and the work you're doing is just monumentally important because it's, it is literally saving, literally saving lives. Um, a, a pivot I want to, to make is, uh, I'm curious to know what, what does being a man mean to you? That's uh, an interesting question because it's so unique for everyone. Uh, the short and sweet is I think that we have such a limited time here on earth and it's just about leaving a positive impact. If there are things or thoughts, feelings that are no longer serving us, then I think that we have to look at it and do the work. And essentially healing is work. I mentioned mm -hmm. that I have four boys. I am dedicated and committed to making sure that they do not have to fight in the same way that I did. I will rewrite some of those old scripts yeah. that no longer serve us to show that men can be vulnerable and strong at the same time. In fact, like we said before, vulnerability is what strength is all about. The, yeah. the reality is that 
the kids and youth are always watching us. You know, boys are training to be the men of tomorrow. And if those boys can't see us as men being vulnerable, reaching out for help, maybe shedding a tear, then why would they? And I think it's very much about rewriting those old scripts that no longer serve us. Boys are training to be the men of tomorrow. I love that. I love that. Um, what, yeah, what just popped, what just popped up is um, I recorded a podcast earlier today and the, the, the guy was saying, if having gone, having gone through suicidal depression, having got to the point where I can speak about it, if, if you know that process in yourself, how hard it is to, to speak up, how much like courage and strength it takes to speak up, then you wouldn't see vulnerability as a weakness. It, it takes so much when you're in that space to, to really like open yourself up to someone. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was important to, to kind of add that as it popped up. Um, what is it about men that do you think it, or the, the environment or what is it behind the reason why men have a three times higher suicide rate than women? What do you think is some of the, the causes behind I that? I think it just goes back to, we do what we know. And if we have not seen certain behaviors, it's very hard to carve that path. Mm. And for me growing up small town, Saskatchewan, uh, this kind of stuff was never talked about. It wasn't modeled. And therefore I felt very much alienated in my thoughts. But as soon as we can see other people talk about their pain or mm. we can hear our story through others, that helps pave the way for us to have these conversations. And I do feel that we're a hundred percent moving the right way. I have literally spoken in hundreds of yeah. schools and I am seeing more and more boys, more and more young men put a voice mm. to their pain. Sure. Some still turn to the alcohol, the drugs to cover up the pain, to mask yeah. it. They turn to anger, but the amount of young men who are willing to be vulnerable is very inspiring for me. There was a, a school, Nick, where mm. I recently went because they had lost a young man, Pedro, to suicide. And I'm often called to go to schools or communities when there's been a loss and it's hard, but we're also able to just talk about mm. it, have real and authentic conversations. And what stood out for me about this recent one was after I talked to the students, I asked to have a room where students can just meet with me and yeah. talk because that's all they need to do. They just need to talk. And in walks Pedro's best friend. His name was Hudson. And Hudson was actually living with Pedro and his family. And what struck me is I had known who this young man was. So he's 15. And Hudson walks into this room and he shakes mm -hmm. my hand. And then he sits down on the couch and I sit across from him. We didn't say anything. And then we both just started to cry. And it was powerful because you have two guys who lost their best friends to suicide. There is a mm. certain language yeah. that we both just understand. But what was neat for me was then we had a really meaningful conversation where he went to that place where he talked about his pain and, and that is hard to do, but he gave himself permission to walk into that room, meet with someone who he didn't know and talk about some of his greatest pain. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, that is, yeah, that, is, that must have been, how was that for you? How, how is it, um, I guess, the weight of some of these conversations, if, if this is the, the, the kind of movement that you're involved in, you're going to continue to, I guess, feel the weight of some of these questions and conversations. How, how have you found dealing with that? Much better now. I started off as a counselor at inpatient treatment center 13 years ago, and then I've taught at numerous colleges. So I've had a lot of conversations around suicide mm. and mental health. And at this point, I feel pretty equipped and that I don't take on the pain of others. But having said that, emotions are energy. And when people feel mm. better, they often feel better because yeah. there's been a release of energy. And I still feel like I then am weighed down from some of these. And for that reason, after days like that, I have strategies in place where I just take time for me. I smudge I, you know, go for a walk or a candle, a bath, something mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm getting rid of some of that energy. But going back to what we said before, I, I just understand that they have their journey and I have mine. We're fortunate to yeah. have small interactions with people. And the reality is we never really know the impact that we're going to have on, on others. But mm -hmm. I'm like, I, 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 I guess the short and sweet is I find life really hard. Uh, to this day. And, and even though, like I was talking to this reporter recently and he says, Oh wow. Motivational speaker, you know, it must be so nice to have everything uh, all together. And I, I said, fuck that. <laughs> like not even, not even close. The difference <laughs> is that I have supports around me. And the difference is I'm willing to look at some of that pain. Um, and I just feel mm -hmm. like I have limited time. So it's like, just use me. And, and, and that's my ask in life. Just help me to see what it is that I need to see so that I can be used and strengthen these conversations no different mm -hmm. than what you're doing. And I'm, I'm curious from the, when you go to the, the talks and talk to, to young men, what are, what are some of the questions that they're inquisitive about? What are they trying to find out from, from you? I think that they're trying to figure out how to save face often, how to be cool and, you know, and, and how to navigate through mm. their emotions in a safe way. And I think that if we can help them to understand that feeling leads to healing, um, that will serve them well. I'm really passionate about teaching them that it's okay to go within because I had such a hard time going within feeling, yeah. having a relationship with myself. And I try to create that space where I can have them self reflect. And if there's pain in there, I am very much passionate about empowering them to put a voice to their pain. And when they do so, they will feel better, but it's getting over that initial hurdle. And often, mm -hmm. I mean, they want to know about, you know, the, the alcohol, the drugs, sometimes the effects, um, but I think that at the end of the day, mm -hmm. we're all just trying to figure out how to feel an element of peace and they want strategies and tools to be well. And yeah. so I share things that have worked for me, things that have worked for others. And I just encourage them to have an open mind because what works for one won't work for another. But the worst thing we can do is isolate and withdraw yeah. and turn to self harm or drugs, alcohol, pornography, anything to just put a blanket over a root cause, which is typically pain. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just want to say thank you for your work. I'm sure that is just going to be 
I mean, just I'm sure so many of the parents are so thankful for you having those talks because everyone is affected by some connection that has had a negative experience with mental health, whether it's like a loss that's caused a really intense grieving process, suicide, um, eating disorders. I, I'm just sure they're so helpful that there's a, a like a positive influence coming into their lives through these talks. So yeah, thank you for what you're doing because um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's really, really helping a lot of people. Um, yeah, the I guess the the question I wanted to move on to was once you get out of childhood, you go into the workplace, and the workplace can be a funny a funny thing. You can have these crazy things happen in your life, and then you have to kind of instantly go back into work. You have to act like nothing's happened. You have to keep face. Um, you can um, you can lose like a loved one, a partner, and then have to go and do a meeting the next week. And I guess what role do you think that, where, I guess, where do you think companies are getting it wrong in terms of supporting their employees with their mental health? I think that what I'm seeing is there's actually a significant shift where leaders are understanding the importance of being vulnerable, being authentic, and allowing people to talk about their emotions, which never used to happen, to your point. Mm -hmm. It was very much... What happens in the house, what happens under yeah. our roof does not get brought into our place of work. And the unfortunate part with that is there's no faucet that turns off shutting off our personal life with our work. So of course we bring it all into our place of work. But yeah. then people end up wearing that proverbial mask where they're smiling on the outside with all this pain on the inside and safety comes into play. I do a lot yeah. of events at, at safety uh, conferences because to your point, you're going through some kind of a loss and you're trying to perform a task, but your head is renting out all of this space thinking about yeah. that loss. So how can you be present trying to perform the task at hand? It impacts it. And I think that mm. more and more people are starting to share their story. That's the most powerful thing that can help change the culture in a workplace where people are saying, Hey, this is what I'm going mm. through, or this is what I've gone through. Here's what I need. And whether that's through an email, I'm seeing that more and more where if somebody has lost, like, here's an example. Mm. There was a guy, his name was Fred and yeah. Fred had lost his 13 year old niece to suicide. He made a decision to send an email to everyone, everyone that he worked with a few days before he returned to his place of work. And he shared that he had just mm. experienced a loss through suicide and he shared that if you experience me differently this is why but i ask that you still hold me accountable but i'm also going to ask you for grace and i also am willing to talk about it and so he he put it all out there and that's and what strength. happened yeah, that's is that workplace appreciated it because you know this is uncomfortable where we don't know if we should bring it up if we bring it up is it going to be more painful or what happened to fred mm. he put it all out there he didn't shy away from the fact that it was a death by suicide yeah. and because he did that it gave other people permission to talk about their losses and that changed the entire culture mm. immediately it's the permission piece the me too what you have that mm. i have that and we start to talk about it yeah, I, th I think what you said there, the, like, the psychological safety, when even just if you're in a social situation and you can have the courage to be vulnerable with a, with a close friend, then that just creates that space for them to feel like, oh, 
this maybe this is my moment maybe this is the moment i can just let let my friend in and let them know that i'm in a bad space so uh, it's a really powerful story and that i mean they have such courage to have done that because um, i'm not sure i would i would have the the same um i i want to finish the podcast with just asking what's the what's the vision what's the five-year vision for you and your your journey in this space and for for life uh, yeah i'm far from religious uh but i'm very spiritual and i always ask that i can just be used i ask mm-hmm. for open ears and open eyes for opportunities where i can just carry the message so the world the short and sweet is the world like just use me, just use me. I, I will go anywhere. Um, and I, it, this has always been bigger than me because there, there honestly is no logical reason, none, why I should still be alive after the life that I've led. And I, I can only make sense of it by thinking that I'm here to carry a message. And, mm-hmm. and that's it. The books that I've written, I had no intention of writing those. There was always something greater at play that kind of went through me and I just typed the book. People would show up, you know, it's so I, I am kind of just along for the, for the ride. And where can people, where can people find you? Where can they hear more about your work? Where can they find your books? What's the, what's the deal? The best place, probably just the website. It's www.allenkaler.com, which is A-L-L-A-N-K-E-H-L-E-R dot com amazing well thank you for all your work thank you for coming up and being so vulnerable and so transparent and for for yeah all the amazing things i know you're going to go on to continue to do so thank you for coming on thank you nick i appreciate you